The scripture reading for today comes from the very beginning uh, of the book of uh, Matthew and the very uh, end. Hear now God's word. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Damien. I'm the senior pastor. I'm so grateful to be able to share with you this morning. You know, normally uh, we will open up or expound a longer text of scripture, but every now and then in sermons we will reflect on small portions of scripture, and hopefully our hearts will open as we reflect upon them. So today I'm inviting you to reflect with me on one very simple truth. Now Advent, which is the season that we're beginning, is such a rich part of the year for Christians. There are so many important themes in Advent that we need to reflect on. But many of these themes are so common that so often we overlook them. Or when we hear them, they fall flat in our hearts and in our minds. And among those themes is the theme that we're taking up today, which is the theme of God's presence. It's the theme of God with us. We just sang about it. God with us. God for us. This is the foundation of the Advent season. It's the foundation of the scriptures. God wants to dwell with his people. That is the foundation of our faith. But I wonder if in the midst of our struggle with sin, uh, with our struggle with loneliness, with brokenness in the world, in our hard relationships, in the limits of our life that we try to push against all the time because they're frustrating to us. I wonder if the pace of our life, which we choose to live at a breakneck speed, if all of these things together synergistically keep us from experiencing this one simple truth of God's presence with us. And you know, presence is something that I've been hearing a lot about this year. It's something I've been thinking a lot about this year. Now listen, I just want to know, tell you, some of you are going to be thinking he's talking about the conversation he had with me about this. But I assure you, I am. And I'm not. Because I've had this conversation so many times this year. And that is simply, you know, 2020, as hard as it's been, there were some really great things early on. And there's some version of when the pace of life was slowed down, the way that I could be present with my family, present with myself, present with my spouse, you fill in the blank, the way I could be present was so refreshing. And yet, about summertime or so, <clears throat> when things came into the fall, we're now back basically to the speed of life prior, just with more masks, right? But everything else is basically the same. We sort of entered back in to that. And so now I'm hearing the deep lament of tasting something earlier in the year, and then now it's slipping, and it seems to be gone. You see, what I hear is people saying, I just want to be more present. I wish I was more present. And what I think we mean by that are things like, I want to be present with my kids when I'm with them. I want to be present with my spouse when I'm with them. I want to reflect more. I want to be more present on where I actually am emotionally and spiritually instead of just moving so fast. I'm not even sure. I, I, I'm not even checking in with myself. You want to be more present with the Lord in uh, times of word and prayer. All of these 
desires. We experience a taste and now it seems to be gone. And the reason why we want this is because we know that relational and emotional presence is central to flourishing. It's central to human relationships. That's why we want more of it, because we're all made for relational presence, okay? And then, the re- because that's true, we all know the pain of not experiencing relational presence. We know when it's lacking. We may not know that's what's wrong with us, but we experience it. Some of us know the pain of having parents who were physically present but emotionally distant, provided everything we needed except their presence, and it's affecting us, and it has affected us. Maybe it's a spouse who's physically present but emotionally distant. We all know that empty feeling of being physically present with someone and then leaving, not having connected, and feeling worse about it when we leave. We also know how much work it can take when that's happening and we come together to be present with one another and rather than pushing through, we sort of pull out our phones or we we look at the screen or we keep the talk at the surface. Even with really close friends, we all know what that's like. And yet we also know those times when we're surprised by deep connection. We also know when we're surprised by what it feels like to connect with someone to be present with them physically and emotionally in relationship. We know how meaningful and life-giving it is. We were made for presence. We're made for relationship. And God has made us for community, not for isolation. He's made us for interdependence, not for autonomy. He's made us for relational warmth and receptivity, not for relational coldness and distance. And you see, this is what connects us to our passage today in this first theme of Advent. In the birth of Jesus, God is drawing near, yes, to redeem us, but so that he can be with us, so that he can give us his presence, so that we can be with him. So it's on this theme that I want to reflect today. I want to draw our attention to what God's presence does and what it's for Okay, so first, my first point of reflection is the very point of creation is the presence of God with his people. That's the whole point of God creating anything. You do need to know God was perfectly fine without creating anything. He was perfectly satisfied in his triune relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. The reason he wanted to create wasn't to add anything to him. It wasn't because he was bored. It was because out of an overflow of his love in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he wanted us to be with him, to experience that goodness and that joy. The whole point of creation is God's withness. That's the whole point. And if that's the whole point of creation, we'll talk about in a minute, it's the whole point of redemption. But I wanna show you that this is true. Think about this. Think about uh, in creation. God creates a people, humanity, and he puts them in a place. Why? So that he can dwell with them. That's the whole point of creation. He's walking with Adam in the garden. He created a place that he could be present with his people. And then you think about after the fall, right away in chapter four, he doesn't evacuate 
his presence from his, this place that he's created. Even with Cain and Abel, he's present with them in conversation. And then you think about the tabernacle with Israel. He's present with them. And where did they put the tabernacle? They put it right in the center of the camp, not on the outskirts, but in the center of the camp, God dwelling among them. And they all lived around him and all of their tents faced him, the opening of their tents. Then of course, you think about the temple when Solomon created the temple, right? God's presence isn't contained in the temple, but it's manifest in the temple. Why? Because God dwells with his people. And then of course, we get to this passage today. Now God comes and does the most amazing thing. He takes on human flesh now so that we can see him face to face. But all of it is so that he can be with us. You see, it's the divine presence that actually distinguishes the people of God from, from anything else. It's the divine presence that distinguishes the church from anything else. It's not our rules. Like it's conceivable that we didn't need revelation to come up with the basics of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, maybe not the first couple, right? Maybe we probably would have made carved images and so on. But in terms of, we all know that we shouldn't cheat on our spouse. Whether we do it or not, that's another thing. But we all know that that's not a good idea. We all know it's not a good idea to, to always be on the lookout because people can steal stuff from you. We all know it's not a good idea. It doesn't lead to happiness to covet one another's things. So it's conceivable that we could come up with really good rules of social engagement. Okay, but here's the distinguishing difference of the people of God and moral people in the world. And that is the presence of God dwells in us. That's the only difference. In fact, that's exactly what Moses learned right away. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, this was after the golden calf. Moses was losing his mind when he came down off the top of the mountain, saw the golden calf, breaks the tablets, goes back up, God gives him another set, he comes back down, and now they're about to finally embark toward the promised land. And this is what God promises Moses in Exodus 33. The Lord tells Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And this is what Moses says in the very next verse. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I will not go, I do not want to go anywhere without your presence. And you know what's so fascinating and, and beautiful is the word for presence, the Hebrew word that's translated presence is the word face. It's panim, it's face. So you could say, my face will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says, if your face will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. It's the most common Hebrew word translated presence. Why? Well, because it's implying a close and personal encounter with the Lord. You see, to Moses, this distinctiveness is not just that God is for us, but that he's with us, that he dwells among us. And not just that he's around us, but that he's given us his face. What happens when you have someone's face? You have their attention. God is focused on his people. He's with his people. He's given them his face. He's intimately paying attention to them. That's what the presence of God is. Now listen, even our kids know this. Even our kids know what this is like. Recently, I came home, uh, my youngest daughter uh, cries when I leave, she cries when I come back, but for different reasons. She's always so excited to see me. My other two, not so much, but this one, for some reason, she really loves when I come back home. So I'm, I'm back home and I knew I had to respond to a text message. 
But I walked in, I was, I was on the phone, I got off right as I'm coming in the door, closed the door, put my bag down, she runs up, I pick her up, I go sit down, talk to her for a minute. And then I'm like, okay, I just, it's in my head, you gotta respond, you gotta respond. So I take my phone out and she's trying to tell me about her day. So, you know, she's talking to me and I'm doing that whole thing where I'm on it and I kind of look at her, like, tr- like I try to time it right to where like now she's gonna think I'm really paying attention to her. So, I, which by the way, we all know you're not paying attention to us, okay? When you're doing this. So, so she's doing this and, she, and I look up at her and, and then I'm almost finished and, and she gently puts her hands on my face and she turns my face to her eyes and she said, Daddy, look at me. That's, that's when you know you have failed as a parent. That's when you know. And so I do have a regular practice of come home, put my phone in a drawer, close the drawer, and don't pick it up again until after dinner. From whenever I get home till after dinner, I'd recommend something like that. And it's not because I'm awesome, it's because that's how distracted I would be if it were in my pocket or if I could see it. But I hadn't done that yet, so I knew I'd fail as a parent. Think about this, I have a friend back in Indiana who a number of years ago, two or three years ago, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Thankfully, he's still alive and they seem to have it under control for now. And about six months into his treatment, some mutual friends of ours were talking to him and they asked him, hey, what have you learned? What's this experience been like? And he said, you know, one of the things I'm most grateful for is learning how little I actually looked at my children in their face. He said, what I, what I realize now is I'm so present because of this diagnosis that every time they talk to me, I'm right there, I'm in their face, I'm looking them eye to eye. And it just dawned on me one day how little I actually look in their eyes. So we know that presence is not just physical presence, but it's the face-to-face presence. And that is what the Bible means when it says God is with us. Remember, the word for presence in the Hebrew is, could be translated face. That's why at the end, when we give a benediction, we, we have God's face upon us. We want his face upon us. One verse in the New Testament, this is Paul talking in 2 Corinthians 4, and he's talking about the miracle of, of conversion. Whenever God's spirit changes our hearts, and we see his glory, we see how important he is, we see how worthy he is, what happens? Well, this is how Paul describes that. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness. In other words, when there was darkness in creation, he said, let there be light, there was light. That's what he had to do in your heart for you to see his glory. There was darkness there. So the same God who created had all things had to create new life in you by his word. And so the same one who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God, how and where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Our passage, God with us, Emmanuel. So this tells us something else about God's presence with his people. It's not just that we have his face, and it's not just he's restoring us to have his face again, it's that the very plan of redemption is the presence of God with his people. So if the point of creation is the presence of God with his people, the very plan of redemption is the presence of God with his people. And and all I wanna say in this point is simply this, uh, God does not save you from far away. God saves you from up close. He comes near, he dwells with you. He comes in the gospel to die for his people But he doesn't just come to be around his people, put in his time for 33 years, distantly, coldly, 
and then do his work and die on the cross. No, he was intimately involved with his people. He draws near, not just physically near, but emotionally near. He's not emotionally distant. He's both physically and emotionally near. So we're in Matthew's gospel in community Bible reading. Community Bible reading is is an initiative that we have as a congregation. If you're not doing it with us, I'd really invite you in. We have free journals you can use. There's an app. You can, you can follow the reading plan. You can read it in your own Bible. You can read it online, but we're in Matthew. And so right now, we, we're seeing Jesus interact with his people. We're seeing Jesus walk with his disciples. And, and we don't see a distant Jesus. We see a Jesus who's fully present with a broken world. He's fully present with the suffering. He's fully present when he has been betrayed. He doesn't shrink back or stay distant while he provides redemption. Think of Abraham last week. God was present with him while he was learning how to have faith. He didn't wait till he had faith and then become present with him. He was walking with Abraham, offering his presence. Again, in Exodus 33, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Why did he do that? because he wanted to be with him. That's why. Because the whole point of redemption is to be with his people. You see, think about how God comes in the flesh. He comes as a baby. He submitted to parents. He related to siblings. He lived fully with his disciples until he suffered on the cross and died a sacrificial death for me and you. So yeah, he wasn't looking forward to the death But like me and you, I think he's also not looking forward to leaving his friends. Now, ultimately, of course, he's looking forward to the joy set before him to be glorified with the Father, but he wasn't immune from that pain, which is why he was, one of the reasons why he was so sad when his friends kept falling asleep when he asked them to pray for him in the garden because he was with them and they were with him. Can you not stay awake, he said. You see, to be reconciled to God, yes, we must trust Jesus. We must surrender to his mercy. We must yield to his lordship. But we cannot forget this. None of this happens apart from relationship with him. None of it. We talk about our union with Christ. That's marriage language. We're intimately in relationship with him. He gives us his full presence, not just physically, but emotionally. And you know, all of this, Uh, happens because God moves toward us. Now listen, if you know Jesus, if you're with him, it's because he moved toward you. And and kids, children, many of you, most of you, I think, will, will never know a day that you don't love Jesus, that you don't know him. And how did you learn about him? Well, you learned about him because your parents taught you about him, because they know him. So they want you to know Jesus. And I want you to know this, that Jesus doesn't just want you to do the right things. He he doesn't only want you to be good and to obey your parents. He wants all those things, but for a reason. What he wants most and what your parents want you to know that he wants most is that he just wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know that he loves when you laugh and play. He loves that you love sports and being silly. And, And he's always there. He's not far off. And because your parents teach you about him, that's the way that he wants you to know this is true. It's really amazing. And that's what Christmas is about, is that God wants to be with us. And you know, this tells us something about God. It tells us that he's not just redeeming us so that someday we can be with him, 
but he's with us now, and he's using his presence with us to change us. And that's my final point this morning of reflection on God with us, and that's this. The power of transformation is the presence of God with his people. So God is with us on this journey. I wanna read you just three verses, I think it's three, it might be four, from the New Testament on this idea of witness. So first in John 17, this is Jesus' final prayer for his disciples before he goes to be with the Father. He says, Father, I desire that they also, he's talking about us, all who would believe, whom you have given me may be with me where I am. That's one of his final prayers. I just want them to be with me where I am. John 8, a little earlier, Jesus is telling them about how the Father is always with him and that he wants us to be with them. And this is what he says. And he who sees me, this is the Father, he who sees me is with me. He has not left me alone. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. You see, when God sees you face to face, he's with you and he's not left you alone. Philippians 4, 9, Paul says, the God of peace will be with you. Notice he didn't say the peace of God will be with you. That would be great too. But he says, the God of peace will be with you. God will be with you. And because of that, that's why you'll have peace. 2 Corinthians 13, he says something similar. The God of love and peace will be with you. So let's talk about this in real life. Let's talk about this in our daily discipleship with Jesus as we conclude. Mark 3. In Mark's gospel, things move a lot more quickly. And so it gets to the point where Jesus calls his 12 to be with him. And he tells him, he tells us, the readers, why he wanted 12 to be with him. This is amazing to me. Listen to this. Mark 3, 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. So that they would be with him and so he could send them out. You see, there's a coming and going. There's no power in the Christian life, no, no power in being sent out unless God is with us. That's why Moses says, hey, I, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want you to send us anywhere if your face isn't going to be with us. You see, Jesus has chosen you and redeemed you that you might be with him even now. When we look at how Jesus spent time with his disciples, he, he, he was with them, it was interactive. He spent time with them. There was one-on-one, -on -one, there was small group interaction. They were out on the, in the field serving together. There was life with each other, life on life. That's how he discipled his uh, apostles. And he took them as they were. No pre-qualifications, no test, except will you follow me? And if you will, then I want you to be with me. So the question is, why don't we experience this more than we do? I mean, that's, that's the question. If God, I hope it's clear, the whole point of all things is that God would be with you. He didn't need you for any other reason except he wanted you to enjoy him in relationship. So why don't we experience this? Well, listen, there's not a formula for this. There, there's not a formula for, for how we can experience God. And the reason is because we don't control the relationship. He sets the terms. He sets the boundaries. All we know is he said, I'm with you and I wanna be with you. And we just learn how to respond to that. So there's no formula to this. Just like there's no formula to any flourishing relationship. Is there? There's no formula for you to have a flourishing relationship. You can do the best you can and things still might not be going well. But I do know this. 
I do know this. If it's true where we started that we struggle with being present with others and with ourselves, there's no reason why we should think we will be present with God. If, if we struggle, because we struggle, I know we do, I do too. If we struggle being present with people, with our spouse, with our children, with ourselves and our own emotion, we should, it should not surprise us that we don't very frequently feel present with the Lord. Let me unpack this a little bit. When we struggle with being present with others, oftentimes we've bought into this uh, multitasking mentality. Like somehow I can be present in two places at once. Now, of course, I can have more than one thought at once, but, and I'm always trying to rein it back in. That's normal. Like when you pray and your mind goes everywhere, yeah, that's welcome to humanity. Okay, that's a thing. But, but what we do is we bring our self back just like a child, you know, I'm like, hey, 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 I'm talking to you, pay, pay attention. Oh yeah, sorry. Squirrel, right? This whole thing, we're trying to bring people back. It's the same way with us. So don't hear superhuman stuff here whenever I'm talking about this. But listen, you, you absolutely cannot send a text message and be present with me across the table. You just can't. So maybe we should just say, hey, about every three or four minutes, maybe, maybe 20 minutes, I'm gonna completely stop paying attention to you for 10 seconds at a time. I'm going to pull my, my, my phone out and I'm going to do this, right? We should just say that. In fact, I have a friend who when anyone at the table pulls out their phone, they will stop talking. And if you're talking, they'll interrupt you. They'll be like, hey, hold on. And, and they'll just look at the person with the phone. <laughs> now, here's the thing, is that they, most of the time, they keep consistent with it. In other words, if, they, if their phone goes buzz and buzz and buzz, they'll be like, hey, hold on one second. I'd hate to do this, but my phone keeps going off. Can I, do you mind if I just look at it and just make sure everything's going okay? And of course, when they do that, you think, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. And it seems so respectful. And that's fine. But how often do we, we don't even think about that. It's just normal for us to do that. And again, it's not, it's not the phone. We could be looking at someone in the eye without a phone and literally be thinking about email, literally be thinking about what we're going to do later or what we did earlier and not with them. Attention you're, you're switching your attention, you're not multitasking. Let's just, let's just understand that that's what's happening. We know that when the TV's on and we're working and we catch ourselves watching the TV. Why? Because you can't work and watch TV at the same time. We know this, we're humans, we can't do this. But let me tell you, let me tell you how I think about relationships and, and I'll use it, it doesn't have to be with a spouse, but it has to be with someone you're close with, so I'm gonna use it uh, with my spouse. So I'll say this in marriage training and, and talking with couples, I will ask them. Maybe some of you heard me ask you this in our elder visit. I'll say, hey, there's like, there's three uh, realities to, to a relationship. Uh, and I've heard this once and, I, and I've been passing it on because I've found it so helpful. There's face-to-face, -face, there's side-to-side, -side, and there's back-to-back. All right, so I'll come back to face-to-face. -to -face. But the side-to-side -side reality, let's just say Leah and I, in our marriage, we're side-to-side -side a lot. So she's here, I'm here, and we're looking at each other, we're communicating, but there's this thing in front of us called family and household and community and hospitality and, and work and all of this, this stuff. And so we're teamed up. So we're side-to-side we're -side and we're doing this life together. But we're still communicating, we're still present with one another. Like we look over, you know, communicate, okay, got it, you got this. Right? We all know what that's like. And that is a form of presence. That's really important. There's also a back-to-back -back reality. So when I think of back-to-back, -back, I imagine those shows with military or police where they bust into a room 
and there's two by two, and as soon as they go in, they turn back to back and they clear the room together, right? They're sort of, they're turning back to back so that someone always has their back, keeping them from danger. Well, in my marriage, I experienced this as well. There are times when what it looks like is no one probably shooting at us, unless it's the devil. But beyond that, you know, there's this reality where it's like, okay, you got, you got horseback riding lessons and, and you, got, you, you, know, you got voice lessons and you got this sport and you got that. You got the groceries. You got that. You got the email. You're going to reach out to them and make sure we're having dinner. I mean, so this type of thing, but we're, we're connecting and then boom, we go into action. We're back to back and we're, we're in this together. Those are really good things. And I'll tell you, as a, as, a, as a married couple, if you don't know how to do side to side and back to back, you're going to struggle. And... If you can't do face-to-face, you will collapse. What happens when we're face-to-face? Face-to-face, knee-to-knee, shoulder-to-shoulder, our shoulders squared, we're looking at one another, and we're engaging one another. We're we're, we're causing ourselves to be emotionally and physically present. And I'm going to tell you this, that we all know those date nights when that's what it's for, and it doesn't happen. So there's no formula to this. But I know that it matters, and I know that it takes practice. It's a skill. You realize everything you do was a skill you had to learn? You know falling asleep is a skill a child has to learn? We all know this if you're parents. You have to teach them how to, how to fall asleep, how to put themselves to sleep. We just sort of think, well, I mean, if I can do it, it just, it just comes naturally to me. Nothing in life works that way. You literally were not born knowing how to fall asleep. You had to be taught that you can do this. You can soothe yourself. You can close your eyes, fall asleep. So, of course, how much more would this brokenness of a relationship because of sin where we'd have to learn how to connect face-to-face, where we'd have to learn good questions to ask one another, where we'd have to, we'd have to take some time before it happened to prepare ourselves for that. Maybe it's on your drive home. I've learned that I want to just keep talking, keep making phone calls, keep doing things on my way home. And most of the time I do, but there's got to be a way where I am making that transition and preparing myself to enter in so I can be face to face. I've been back to back, side to side all day long. What I need to be is face to face. Now, listen, again, I think all three are important. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's only face to face. I'm not trying to say that. In fact, even with the Lord, listen. I go on walks regularly and I pray. I just pray. And I just know this is more of a side-to-side walk, Lord. It's a prayer walk, but I'm just walking and I'm thinking and, and I'm thinking of the presence of the Lord and it's almost as though I'm looking to the side and be like, hey, did, you know, can you believe this happened today? That was amazing. Or gosh, you know, I got to tell you about this. This happened today. It was so hard, but I'm so glad I did it or I was so frustrated. But it's not really this face-to-face. It's we're sort of, we're together and we're thinking and, and that's a normal part of Marriage is a normal part of our walk with the Lord. But there has to be face-to-face times as well. There has to be times when, when we say, we're, I'm all in. Here I am. I'm yielding to you. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking only to you. You have my full attention, and I have your full attention. So listen, in my marriage, or in our relationships, right, when things aren't going well, I'm no less married. When I don't feel joy and I don't feel commitment and I don't feel all of the presence that I long to feel, I am no less married. But listen, when I am skillfully and intentionally present with my wife, I experience marriage 
in a way completely different. I'm no less married, I'm no more married, but the way I experience marriage when I'm skillfully and intentionally present with her changes everything. When I spend time face to face, listen, when we don't experience the presence of the Lord the way we want to, when we don't experience the joy of the Lord the way we want to, we are no less safe in the arms of Jesus. When we don't experience joy in him, he still deeply delights in us, even in those moments. He delights in you, even when you're not delighting in him. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful to us. You see, this is the good news of Advent. It's that God wants to be present with us. He's always wanted that. The whole Bible story, your life story, hinges on God's desire to be with you. He literally sent his son to take on human flesh to die on our behalf so that we could be with him. And so this Advent season, let's not overlook the powerful invitation to reflect on God's witness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you grateful that when we are faithless, which we so often are, you are faithful. We confess that so often uh, in our selfishness, we believe that we can be present in more than one place at a time. Thank you that you gently hold on to our face like my little girl and pull our face back to you and say, I want to be with you. Thank you that there's nothing we have to do right now. We don't have to make a list and stop a bunch of things and start a bunch of things, but we're walking around in the palm of your hand. All we have to do is turn our face and you're there. Thank you. Thank you that pressure is not on us. Thank you that you are consistently with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.